All right, so we are in the book of Haggai, which might seem like a strange place to be for a Christmas service, but I want you to notice what it says in verse 6. It says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory saith the Lord of hosts. And notice how Haggai mentions the desire of all nations that's going to come. This clearly is a messianic prophecy about Jesus, and this is a significant one. And But before we expound on the scriptures, I do want to point out another Christmas song. We looked at one in Sunday school this morning, but uh, look at page 83, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I want us to read the last verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and then we're going to kind of go through this sermon and check and see if this songwriter knew what he was talking about and if he understood this prophecy. And not to get ahead of myself, but I think we're going to find out he did understand this prophecy. But it says, Come desire of nations come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now we face, stamp thine image in its place, Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. And like I said this morning, these Christmas songs are just doctrinally rich. And that that last verse right there is just huge. We do not hear songs written like this anymore. The song, the the amount of depth to most of our music today is just, there's none. There's absolutely no depth to it at all. It's all about feelings. It's all about just superficial things. But these old songs, they did, they had, they had doctrine. They had meaning in them. And they were beautiful songs. They were beautiful, well-written songs. And I believe one of our problems across the board in our society and our culture and even in our churches is we are, we are very superficial. We are very shallow when it comes to all things, doctrinally, culturally, just everything. And uh, we are uh, definitely inferior to what they, what they were in the past. And it really is a shame. We should be getting better. But it's not the case. But these, uh, something that is important to understand in this prophecy about the desire of nations coming. Okay? It's something that's very important. Is it's written, And this is how it is with much prophecy. I want us to get a hold of this. But prophecy is written in a way, while it is 100% true, okay, every word of God is true, it's all true, it can be something that is almost misleading to the human mind. Because while a prophet would speak of something glorious, often the physical manifestation of that prophecy was not really a glorious thing. We talked about this morning. Again, the, the nativity was not a glorious scene, physically speaking. A baby being born in a stable or in a barn and laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, is not a glorious sight. When, uh, we talked uh, a few weeks ago when we were going through Matthew chapter 3 about how the wise men coming to see Jesus was the fulfillment, I believe, of Isaiah chapter 60. But when you read Isaiah chapter 60, I'm seeing something magnificent. But when we look at what actually happened in Matthew chapter 3, it's not that glorious, physically speaking. But spiritually, what was taking place was glorious. And so what we're often seeing in prophecy 
is we're seeing how we're seeing these things. It's being described how God sees these things. And often how God sees things and how we see things are very different. But let me tell you, the spiritual is definitely more important than the physical. We just need to get a hold of that. The spiritual is far more important than the physical. And so the um so we need far too often we make that mistake for by looking at prophecy and focusing on the spiritual rather than or the, the physical rather than the spiritual. That's why so many people today are still obsessed with a physical nation rather than a spiritual nation. They're focused on a physical people rather than a spiritual people. Even though the New Testament reveals things to us like flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But we've got people today still insisting, no, for prophecy to be fulfilled, something's got to happen physically with this physical nation and physical people. No, have you not read the New Testament? Have you not read how these things were fulfilled and how they have been fulfilled through Jesus Christ? And so when many people get upset when you say this about prophecy, but you know what? How about we look at a prophecy that all of us have experienced? Did you know there's a prophecy that we have all experienced? How about, are are you saved today? Well, did you know that you're a fulfillment of prophecy? Because the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved now or is that something in the future? No, you're saved now. You know why? Because when you called on the Lord, guess what God did? He saved you. He fulfilled a prophecy. That, that's, what, that's what happened when you got saved. And let me tell you something. It is not a glorious thing when someone gets saved physically. Do you understand that? Okay, we, we got some camp meeting preachers that need to learn this. It's not a glorious thing, even though they tried to describe it as a glorious thing about how they gave up all their sins and they repented of all their sins and they gave up their smoking and turned to gluttony instead. And then they act like because they're wearing a suit and tie that all of a sudden now, whoo, I got gloriously saved, amen. No, you didn't. I still see a sinner. You still physically, your righteousnesses are as filthy rags and you're still not fit to stand in the presence of a holy God. When you got saved, nothing glorious happened physically. Your flesh and blood is still rotten in the eyes of God. But did something glorious happen spiritually? You better believe it did. And so, 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So, something else to think about, while we have not seen the manifestation of this yet, okay, we have, we have not been transformed yet. We have not seen the, this, you know, this glorified or this new creature. We've not physically seen it yet, but what does God see? Did you know that God already sees us as sons of God? Even though we've not had the physical manifestation of that yet. Romans 4, 17 says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So guess what? According to God, according to what the Scriptures teach, we are the sons of God right now. But at the same time, you know, we've not, we've not seen the physical manifestation 
of that yet. We will, but God already sees it that way. God called Abraham a father of many nations before he was a father of many nations. Once it was declared by God that this is going to happen, God sees it as already done. God declares the end from the beginning. That's something I think that we all, that we, we, we all understand. We all have a, an example of that in our own personal life. And so many of the Old Testament prophecies have already been fulfilled spiritually. And sadly, many people, they are so focused on the physical manifestation, not only have they missed the spiritual, but they've been robbed of the joy and the blessing of the spiritual fulfillment. Don't you think as Christians, it's okay for us to enjoy the fact we're saved now? Doesn't God want us to enjoy the fact that we are saved right now? It's like, well, I'll be happy when I, when I get the new body. No, you should be happy right now. You should be happy in the Spirit. And you should walk in the Spirit because you're a child of God right now if you're saved. So enjoy it right now. But unfortunately, we're so many people that are so focused on the physical, they're missing out on the joys of the spiritual. We've got many people today who very well could be saved, but they're in churches that focus so much on the physical that not only are people not enjoying the fact that they're saved, they're wondering if they really are saved because, man, I don't know if I've got the new creature. I don't know if that because they think the new creature is something in this flesh. Hey, what did Paul say? In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He was waiting for that. He was waiting to put off this tabernacle. But at the same time, Paul, because he understood what he was spiritually, he enjoyed his salvation. For sure. He didn't enjoy his flesh. And, and I'm telling you, many Christians are missing the joy of the spiritual fulfillment of what has already been done. We've got so many Christians, they are so focused on the coming millennial physical kingdom, they're not enjoying and appreciating the spiritual kingdom that we are in right now. They're so focused on ruling and reigning with Christ in a millennial kingdom in the future that they're not enjoying the fact that we are ruling and reigning with Christ right now. We are a part of His kingdom right now. We are supposed to be bringing souls to Christ. We're supposed that everybody's waiting for this physical manifestation of that, and I believe in a physical coming manifestation of that. I, be, I believe, I believe Jesus is phys- physically going to return and physically set up a kingdom on this earth. But it doesn't change the fact He's already done it spiritually, and we should be enjoying it. We should be we should be working in it. I'll, I'll be busy and I'll, I'll serve God in the millennium when I get my new and glorified body. Wait, you already have a new and glorified spirit. Why don't you serve God in that right now? Why don't you walk in the new man right now? Now's the time to be enjoying these things. But we're, most churches today, they're not talking about that stuff. It's just, oh man, I, I just hope Jesus comes back. Next week, December 31st, all across America... You're going to have preachers. I hope this is the, I hope 2024 is the year. I hope this is the year he finally comes back. And listen, hey, I want Jesus to come back too. But you know what? How about we enjoy the fact that he came? He's with us in the spirit. Why, God, that, isn't that what God wants us to do now? Isn't that how God sees things now? But yet many Christians, they're being robbed of the joys of these things because they're so focused on the physical rather than the spiritual that we already have. And it's very important that we understand this concept as we look at prophecy or you're going to be confused by a lot of things. God is speaking as to what the reality of everything is 
you know, whether in the, whether the world agrees with them or not. That's what we see. Often in prophecy, God speaks of things as He sees them. Not as we see them. And I believe that's what we see in this prophecy about the desire of nations. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. Let's go back to Haggai chapter 2 and let's look at verse 1. It says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak not as Robable, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Now, why did he say that? When Israel was restored to the land after the Babylonian captivity, which, by the way, Israel has already been restored to the land. The prophecies of Jeremiah have already been fulfilled. They've, they've, in Ezekiel, the, these things have now happened. They have been restored to the land. They are rebuilding the temple right now. This is a huge fulfillment of prophecy. It was prophesied by Daniel from the time that Cyrus gives that decree to build the temple to Messiah the Prince. There's going to be 70 weeks. The clock has started. They're beginning to build this temple. But this temple was not that impressive. This temple, when the, when the old men saw it, they wept. While the young men, they shouted. They're like, hey, the temple's being built. The prophecy's being fulfilled. But these old men that saw the previous temple in that former glory, they're like, man, this is not as glorious as what we had before. And so Haggai is acknowledging this here. He's like, is this, this new temple, it's in your eyes as nothing. Okay, but watch this. Yet, and this, because this reminds me of the temple of our body. We've got a lot of people today that are like these young men, you could say, that they'll see somebody repent of a couple sins after they get saved, and they're like, wow, look at that temple. But then, you know, there's some out there that are like, hey, have you ever read the Bible? Your temple still stinks. You're still sinful. And they don't understand what's going on. Both are, both are kind of missing the boat on some things. And I want you to notice, because our body is still sinful. Our body is still corruptible. We are going to die. Unless Jesus Christ returns, this body is going to give out because it is corruptible. It is not going to last forever. So it says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Know what God was showing here is that the glory of the new temple would be greater than the glory of the former temple. You know why? Because, folks, according to history, according to the Scripture, Zerubbabel's temple was not as impressive as Solomon's temple. But then, according to history, Herod the Great, who is known as this great builder, refurbished that temple and restored it to its former glory. But does anybody remember what happened when Jesus went into the temple? He was driving people out with a whip. He's calling people out. Nothing glorious happened. 
When Jesus looked at the, when he looked at the temple and he looked at the city, he wept over it. When he left the temple and he goes into the Mount of Olives and his disciples are showing him the buildings of the temple, Jesus said, there's not going to be one step stone left upon another. So what is this prophecy about the desire of nations coming and his glory filling the temple? What's that all about? How's that going to be fulfilled? Is it we're going to be with the third temple? When the Jews build their next temple? Then Jesus is going to come and he's going to fill that? Are, are, are you going to try to tell me this prophecy has not been fulfilled yet? Let me tell you what God was explaining to these people here. Do you want to know why this inferior temple was going to be more glorious than the previous temple? It was because of who was going to go in it. Listen, you cannot impress the creator of the universe with a building made with hands. Do you all understand that? I don't care how glorious of a building you make. I don't care how glorious the temple of Solomon was. If Jesus enters into this inferior temple, it's better than the previous temple because all the works done in that previous temple couldn't take away sins. But in reality, was it Jesus going into that inferior temple that made the difference? Or was it Jesus going into the temple in heaven and pouring out His blood on the mercy seat? You see, God is speaking of things spiritually and understand what Jesus Christ did was so much more glorious. And so what he's telling, the the message to the people of Israel here is don't worry about this temple. Don't, I mean, you did the best you could, bless your heart. But what matters is this desire of nations that's going to come. He is the one that's going to make the difference. And so when it comes to the temple of your body, understand what makes the difference is not what you do in your body or your temple. It's who enters that temple. You understand that? Great. What, you know, fine. If you want to go to the camp meeting and listen to the preacher talk about all the things that changed. I mean, man, when I got, not, not only did I get a haircut, I went and got my tattoos removed. You know, I went and I got rid of my earrings. I, I, I did this. I did that. I put on a suit and tie. I, you know, I got me a nice short off the ears, comb over haircut. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I went clean shaven. I did all the things they tell you to do in the IFB. You think God's impressed with that temple? Do you really think, do you realize there's, there's going to be people that are going to go to heaven with, that have temples, that have tattoos and piercings and all these things on them? And there's going to be other temples that have no tattoos, no piercings. But these people, that, you know, they, they've been trusting in their works. They've been going to church all their life. They baptized that temple. They did all those things. But you know what? It's not acceptable because it's flesh and blood. It's still corruptible. You want to know what makes a temple glorious? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ entering it. He, he is the one. His glory fills the temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So understand, the temple, what makes the temple glorious is Jesus Christ. He is the one that we need to be looking for. He is the one that's going to make all the difference. And we can do all the things that we're supposed to do with our temple. And we should try to glorify God in in this temple and in our body. We shouldn't go purposefully doing things to, to harm this body. That's disrespectful to God. But at the end of the day, what makes all the difference is who fills it. And it's always been that way, folks. And so without a doubt, when Jesus or when God is giving Haggai this prophecy and talking about the glory of this new temple, it was not a physical thing. 
it was all about Jesus. It was all about what Jesus did. And so just like we saw in 1 John 3, where it talks about the sons of God, we see that while Israel saw this new temple as inferior, God saw the new temple as glorious because of Jesus. And so while the temple of our bodies was not impressive, still is not impressive, right now it is glorious to God because of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is in you, if Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's what makes this temple glorious. That's why one of these days, this body is going to be changed. One of these days, I'm going to go to heaven and it's because of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me uh, for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. This is what people got to get a hold of too. Everybody's like, no, I got to see Jesus walk into a temple in Jerusalem. I got to watch the heaven and earth physically shake. I got to watch the seas physically shake. I got to see all these things. Otherwise, God didn't keep his promise to Israel. Baloney. God kept his promise to Israel and God still keeps his promise to Israel every time he enters into the sorry carcass of the temple of their body when they believe on him and then his glory fills that temple. And let me, and he did, he did shake the heavens and the earth. He changed everything. Everything changed after the cross with what he did on the cross. And it's not about a physical shaking, even though at the crucifixion, the earth sure enough shook, didn't it? A lot of things happened, but at the end of the day, it was about what happened spiritually. And so these things, they were not previously known. They, we see them in shadows like we see in the book of Haggai. But look what it says. To whom God would make known what is the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So do you see where the hope of glory is? It's in Jesus Christ. He is what makes the difference. So now, let's go back to this, these words from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And let's just point out, point out a few things. Notice, come desire of nations come. Christ is what the nations are looking for and desiring, whether they know it or not. And did you know another word that is used synonymously with nations is heathen come desire nations come listen the world did not know what it needed there there is something in every man that uh you know that you know there's that void i've often heard people speak of they can only be fulfilled by christ the world does not understand what that is but god does understand what that is what our world is looking for is jesus christ but unfortunately, many of them just fail to put, you know, to have the faith to believe in the gospel. But remember, God speaks of things the way they actually are, not the way we see them. We often see our world as not wanting to have anything to do with Christ. And it is true that our flesh, you know, is, is against the things of God and is against Christ. But, but there is something that's in all of us. Jesus Christ is that light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. But what does the Bible say? But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So there is, there's something in every man. There's something that's in the nations, even in the heathen, that desires God, that desires a, a, a restored relationship with God. 
There's something in all of us. And Jesus Christ is where those things come from. And so whether our world recognizes it or not, Jesus Christ is the desire of nations. He is what they are looking for. The answers that the people in this world are looking for, they can only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's what they're looking for. Unfortunately, though, we see them being deceived. That's why Satan is deceiving people. Do you realize all these people that are turning to drunkenness, these people that are turning to drugs, these people that are turning to these lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, do you realize all those things are deceptions by Satan? These people are going after something, trying to fulfill a void, and the desire of the nations is Jesus Christ, but unfortunately, Satan is out there deceiving them. He's using the things of the flesh to deceive them, and these people are all being fooled. And it's up to us to shine the light and to show them the truth. It's our job to expose the lies of the devil and let people know, hey, what you're looking for, you will find it in Christ, not in these other things. That's why we don't want to go hating on all the sinners out there. The people who are in the bars tonight, the people who are turning to the drugs, these people are deceived. And what they are trying to fulfill through these things can only be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That's, and that's what we've got to get the message out about. So Jesus Christ is the desire of nations. The one saying, come desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. And isn't it interesting that the writer of this song said that because this phrase, the desire of nations, it's only in the book of Haggai, and it's talking about him going into a temple. It's talking about him going into a physical temple. That's what they were directly speaking of. But we understand, as New Covenant Christians, that Jesus Christ replaced the temple, and Christ now, he does not dwell in a temple made with hands. He dwells within us. And so the fulfillment of these things it comes through us. It comes through Jesus Christ. And so he did, Charles Wesley, he wasn't looking for Jesus to, or the desire of nations to come and dwell in the temple. He was looking for the desire of nations to come and dwell in us. He got it. He understood that. He took the song, while he took the prophecy from Haggai about a temple, he understood, no, the fulfillment of this is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he said, fix in us thy humble home. Dwell in us. That is what Jesus Christ came to do when He died on the cross. And so now He can He can dwell in us. Then He goes. The song goes on to say, "Rise, the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head." And we're familiar. This is like this is the first prophecy. I guess the second prophecy. The first prophecy: the day ye eat thereof, you'll surely die. But the next prophecy after they sin, a seed of See, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So when it says, rise the woman's conquering seed, Jesus was that woman's conquering seed. Jesus Christ did conquer. Jesus is the one that bruised, and he bruised in us the serpent's head. Remember the sermon I, I preached on, on Romans chapter 16 about how we can bruise the head of Satan? How we, how we do that? We, we bruise the head of Satan? And understand, we do all these things through Jesus Christ. Charles Wesley understood that. Charles Wesley, he had these things figured out. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Use us to do these things. Do this in us. And it was the seed of, uh, uh, the, seed of the woman, Christ, that defeated the serpent seed 
who is the one that caused us to sin in the first place. That serpent went and he deceived the woman. He deceived mankind and got them to sin. And we all did that at one time, but Jesus Christ came and he took care of Satan for us. And folks, I get it. Satan, is is Satan not an active agent right now? Of course he is. The Bible says your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary. But at the same time, spiritually, he's been defeated, hasn't he? And so what does he try to do? What does Satan try to do? Because he can't get to us spiritually. He tries to mess with us in the flesh by getting us to sin. He tries to get us in trouble. He can only get us in trouble in the flesh. But if he can get us in trouble in the flesh, maybe he can devour us. Maybe he can get us out of the ministry early. He can get us out of the work of God early. But spiritually, he can't do anything to us. So then he goes on, the song goes on to say, Adam's likeness now efface, which means erase. Do you realize that's why we sin? Because we have Adam's likeness right now. Remember, God first created man in his own image, but then later we see how Adam begat Seth in his image and in his likeness. And you know what? We are the same way. We have Adam's likeness on us. And you know what that likeness is? You know how, you know how we can spot it? It's the sin. It, it's the sin. That, that's what we all have. That death that passed upon all men for they all have sinned. And just like whenever you meet family members or descendants of somebody you know, you can see those similarities in there. Just like you can see similarities with my children that, that you see in me or my wife. One of the, we all, the thing that we all have in common with Adam is we're sinful and it shows. We all have the marks of sin on us. And so when he says Adam's likeness, now we face, erase it. Remove those sins. Stamp thine image in its place. And understand, when you got saved, okay, when you got saved, did you lose the image of Adam? Physically? No, you did not. But you know what did happen when you got saved? Spiritually, you were regenerated and now you have that image of Christ in you. And that's how God sees you now. God sees you as the Son of God now. Spiritually, we have that Right now, Jesus Christ did that for us. So Adam's likeness, now we face. It's been right. God doesn't see the sin anymore in us. God sees Jesus Christ. He erased that sin of Adam and he put on, we, in, in, in its place, it stamped the image of Christ and that's in us right now. Right now. But spiritually, right? Spiritually. Physically, we don't, we don't have it yet. But God sees it as, as, as the way they are spiritually. So stamp thine image in its place. Uh, um, 1 Corinthians 15, 47, The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is Lord from heaven, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And why did he bring this up? Because 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection passage. So, and then, what, you know what it says shortly after that? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. What does that change? That's when this corruptible puts on incorruption. This mortal puts on immortality. When we take on the likeness of Christ. Physically. That, listen, 
We've already shown spiritually that's already happened. Spiritually, we're already there. But physically, we are not there. And that's why, too, I believe full preterists are full-blown heretics when they deny a physical resurrection. There is a physical resurrection coming. We are going to physically have that put on that immortality one of these days. And so, verse 45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. And that's why the song says, Second Adam from above. Okay? We need, we need to get rid of this image of Adam that's on us. We need, to, we need Adam's likeness now we faced. Erase it, God. And he does that with the blood of Christ. But he doesn't just erase that. He stamps his image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Jesus Christ is the desire of all nations. He is what everyone needs. He is what everyone is looking for. Our world does not know that. They don't understand that, but it's who they are looking for. It is who they need. It is our job to convince them. It's our job to show them, and they must. They must have faith and believe the message of the Scriptures. But many... Many do love darkness rather than light. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But Jesus came as that light. And those who reject Him, they do so because they are deceived. People are deceived. They are in darkness. We must shine a light. We must let these people know. And so, as we get ready to sing our final song, as we do traditionally, we sing Silent Night. We like to... Uh, shut off the lights and light the candles and then one by one we like to spread that light to each one and that's what we've got to do and as you hold that light and you think this is what we're doing we're in a dark world this is a very dark world people are being deceived into foolishness because the devil is getting them to follow the things of the flesh and they don't even realize the fulfillment of these of what they're looking for can only be fulfilled in Christ and it is our job to take the light of the Word of God to these people and show them, hey, you're going after the wrong thing. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the desire of nations. He has come and He is in us today. And so let's spread that light. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much for coming to this earth. Thank You for paying for our sins on the cross. And thank You for what You have done for us spiritually. And Lord, while we are looking forward to the physical manifestation of these things, Lord, please don't let the fact that we have not received these things physically stop us from enjoying the fact that we already have them spiritually. And Lord, help us just to walk after the Spirit. Help us to focus on the things of the Spirit and to uh, serve you in your kingdom right now where we can make a real difference in people's lives. In your name we pray. Amen.